The book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, will be what I eventually go through. Uh, most of you know the story of Ruth. That ground's been plowed and plowed and plowed. It's because it's a good story. It's a good, there's lots of spiritual lessons in the book of Ruth. Tonight I want to just do a simple sermon. You know, that's, a, that's the foolish words of a preacher. It's going to be a sh simple, short sermon. This ended up being one of the most complex, long sermons I've preached all year. But being it's only January, I don't feel too bad. But uh, anyway, I'm going to try to preach a simple, short, to-the-point sermon on the first five verses of Ruth. And it has to do with decision-making. And uh, many times in my pastoral, my, my vast pastoral experience, my, my pastoral experience, I uh, have had people come into me and, and bring me in to their decision-making on big decisions, uh, what I call direction-changing decisions, life direction-changing decisions. And they come into me and run their ideas by me. I think it's not a bad idea. The Bible says there's uh, safety in a multitude of counselors. I just think uh, that you should go to people you have some idea know God and know the Bible and have an honest grip on it and that you would run some of the stuff that runs by you by them. The problem with most of those meetings is the conclusion's already been decided. Preacher, you know that. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, about halfway through the meeting, I'll say, is this just an informative meeting or is this a meeting asking for advice? Because really, if the decision's already made, What's the point of you coming to me? Usually they just want me to somehow or another agree with their decision. And so it gives them a little um, reinforcement maybe on making it. In many cases, uh, after this, the situation is presented to me, uh, though it may seem logical to them and reasonable to them and the thing to do at the time to them, there are just some violations in biblical uh, wisdom that I see being made, as oftentimes, most of the time, I see a sacrifice of the permanent on the altar of the immediate. And I think if you were going to title this sermon an alternative title, uh, that was Bob Jones Sr.'s statement, which I think ends up with Sam Jones earlier on. That was his statement. But uh, uh, the, the point being, this is what Elimelech did. He sacrificed the permanent on the altar of the immediate. One thing I've learned about God is he's not real concerned about your health. He's not real concerned about your wealth. He's not real concerned about your status. He is concerned that you know him. Whom to know is life everlasting. And that in the crazinesses of life, you learn to trust him for who he is. I mean, all of the play out of life is so that, as a born-again believer, is so that we learn to commit our trust, and if you can, you can say that's faith, to him. Uh, when, and, and that's why the sermon this morning in the jail, why, why that's even in the Bible, uh, the Philippian jailer story and Paul and Silas and so many other places where his people were placed in basically hopeless 
situations. Now, you know Paul and Silas, they passed the test, man. They passed the test this morning. We read that. But we're reading about another child of God who did not pass the test, and that was Elimelech. He did not pass it, and I do not, do not believe he did that, which was, was God's ultimate will for him, but uh, decided and, and uh, out, of, out of emotions, out of fear. Man, do I hear people make decisions based on fear. Oh, preacher, what if? What am I going to do when my husband dies? Well, you may have a better life. How about that as an option? Uh, no offense to that, ladies. But, I mean, if it hasn't happened, you're expending all this energy on what may happen. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you heard this, 99% of what you fear never happens. And maybe it's not 99, maybe it's 97%. But whatever, it's up in the 90s. Um, when I dove for over 30 years under the water, I figured up I had over 5,000 hours under the water. And we had sharks going by us. I had a hammerhead go by me. We estimated it was 20, 21 feet long. Head was 5 feet wide. Tail was 8 feet tall. It was looked like a prehistoric monster. It went within 5 feet of me. That can happen anytime. When you're in the water, you're it's a subject. You are a you are a subject of a barracuda. He can eat you anytime he wants. Uh, you are a subject of a shark. He can eat you anytime he wants. One thing you realize is you're not in your world anymore. You are in their world, and in their world, they're king, and not you. And so, you what do you do? You don't go in the water because something might bite me. No, you trust God. And you dive in. My woman is absolutely, she is a little, she's got a little body, but I'll tell you, she's got a big spirit in that little body. I have had my woman dive in places that grown men would get in fetal positions on. I mean, it scared me when I told her to do it. I figured I was young. I could probably get another one. I hope that don't go, do not put that over the internet. I'm just, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, you're going to miss out. On what God has for you, if you allow fear to be your guide. And I know some of you tonight are slaves of fear. I'm talking about doubt. I'm talking about apprehension. I'm talking about anxiety. All the family of fear. But as I said this morning, we are not subject. Ours is not the spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit of God is absolutely the spirit of trust, the spirit of faith, the spirit of peace. <coughs> He's not the spirit of fear. I don't worry whether I'm going to get cancer. I don't worry whether I'm going to get in an automobile accident. I rode motorcycles for years, 70,000 miles, motorcycles in every kind of situation. I'm not going around biting my nails whether some 90-year-old is going to turn out in front of me. I may should, but I trust in the Lord who made heaven and earth. And consequently, I can pillow my head. I, I, I mean, I can put my head on my pillow tonight with a, with a peace that simply passes understanding. It don't even make sense. But because I just know that there's a God that cares about me more than I care for myself, and ultimately, 
He's going to bring me into a good stead. Glory to God, we have a good life. What a wonderful life it is in the living Christ. New life in Christ. Oh, break out in that album. Abundant and free. Now, in the case of Elimelech, verse 1, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was famine in the land. Underline that. Famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his sons. <coughs> you say, why don't you take some lozenges? Because I don't want to. I did. It doesn't do any good. The first lesson in truth here tonight is this. A need, a need, does not constitute a call. I'm going to put it this way. A burden does not constitute a call. I know people that go on short missions trips, and they would go to Japan, and this one guy, Bob Jones, went to Japan. He went to Japan for two weeks on a mission trip. He came back and says, God's called me to Japan. First he says they got the finest women in the world. They wait on you, they wash your feet, they wash you this. I said, that will not last. And, and uh, he was overwhelmed with their submissive spirit over there in the Orient. And uh, I said, you bring him over here two weeks. They're going, oh, quit that. <laughs> They'll get with our women. It's over. But, oh, I'm on a roll. But I want to be a missionary to Japan. Oh, Japan. I said, give it six months. Don't make any crazy decisions for six months. He waited six months. I said, you want to go to Japan? He said, no, I don't, I don't feel that's where I want to go. He visited another country. He came back and says, I want to go. I forgot what country I was. I want to go to that country. And what he would do is he would go to the country, and I've done the same thing, and you've been to Haiti. You see the need. The need is overwhelming. And you see that you've got the ability to make a difference. You literally can make a difference with those people. But I learned a long time ago, you cannot save the world. You're not going to save the world. You're, gonna, you're going to have an influence in the world. You're going to make the world a better place to live. You're going to make a difference. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do all those things. But, brother, you are not going down and right a whole country of wrong. But I've been to Haiti and different places and gone, come back and just been so burdened. And by the way, I did something about it. We support five Haitians back there, or at least one time did. We sent a lot of money down there, tried to help them uh, very carefully, uh, placing that, the, the funds and things and prayed for them all these years. You can make a difference. <coughs> and I would come home and I would say, man, I could, if I went to Haiti as a missionary, I could barely make a difference. That crossed my mind many times. I could go down there, preach the gospel, make a difference, man, start churches, uh, maybe Bible Institute down there, and give my life down to Haiti. You know what the problem was? That was a need, but it wasn't a call. It wasn't a call. I made a decision a long time ago. Until God called me somewhere, I wasn't going anywhere. And what you say, well, how do you know if it's God's call? You can't miss the call of God. God's call, when he comes by you, is a call that you have to do it. You can't do anything else. If you can do anything else, it's not to call the God. Because trust me when I tell you this, when God comes by, uh, he, he's the best communicator there is. 
It is not hard for God to communicate his will to you and to me. It's no hard, it's not hard. So if God wants you to do something, he's going to burden, he's going to give you a burden, and it's going to become a call, and you're going to be willing to last. The difference between a person who has a burden and a person who has a call is the person who has a call lasts. They last the resistance. They outlast the hardship. They outlast the discouragement. They outlast the, the troubles. Why? Because you're going to have to kill them to stop them. Why? Because they got a call. They believe what they're doing is literally a call from God. Marilyn Rose has a call from God to be part of the women's meetings and to, and to have those uh, uh, meals at their homes and, and it, it, was, it was something you couldn't stop them. A burden is a real warm feeling and a desire to do it and a need, you know. And then but it burns out. Pretty soon you're like, man, that was good, but now I'm, I'm burnt out on that. That's over. Passing tracks out. If you see that God calls us to, to preach a gospel to every creature, you'll get a vision on passing tracks out, and you'll pass tracks out just like old uh, Ivan Gulu passed out 258 tracks the last week of his life. Man, that's what I want. I wore his jacket, by the way, the last week of revival. That was his jacket. He was wearing it two weeks ago. I was wearing it today. That's how quick things can change, girls. You know, one week your husband's wearing his jacket, the next week the preacher's wearing it. I'm 40 regular, by the way. I think Georgie's stuff will fit me. Especially that Lamborghini, that'll fit me. They'll throw me out, but hey, what a way to go. We'll sell them and buy some buses. But anyway, a burden does not constitute a call. This man, Elimelech, there was this need, this famine in the land. He had a family. Now, man, who does it? Who has a burden for their family, right? Take care of the family. We're the infidel if you don't. But he was a child of Israel. Israel had been given this land. This land had been dished out, laid out, and, and given out, and they were supposed to stay. In. If anybody knew that they were supposed to stay somewhere, it was the Israelites. They had been given this land by God at a high price of, of conquering it, the book of Judges, uh, book of Joshua, then the book of Judges, and then we have, of course, Ruth after this. And, and they knew that they were supposed to stay there <coughs> not just when things were going well, not just when there was plenty of food, but they were to stay there because this was God's land for them as children of Israel. It was clear to me that Elimelech, gave in to a need, gave in to a passing need, not a call, and made a horrible decision change. I think of Acts chapter 16, if you take your Bibles. <coughs> Acts chapter 16, well, I'd take a sip of water. Verse 6. And when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, now look at that, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. 
I've heard missions conferences where I've heard preachers get up and I think mistakenly say, why don't you just volunteer? Why don't you just volunteer? God forbid that we have a bunch of volunteers out on the field. We need people that are God-called, like these people were God-called, and were sensitive to the Holy Spirit because God is into geography. I have missionaries say, it don't make any difference where I go. If it don't make any difference where you go, God didn't call you. God called you. God called me to Bonita Springs Gospel Baptist Church. I have no doubt, absolutely not a tinge of doubt, that God called me to this place. This place. Not just any church in the area, but God called to this place. And he called them. Look how sensitive they were. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And after that, they were to Mysia, and I say to go, and I pronounce that Bithynia, and the Spirit suffered them not. Said, don't go there. Don't go there. Now, they passed in the, um, you could say Mycenae, I think it is, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. After that, he had seen the vision. Immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia. Assuredly, uh, a gathering that the Lord had, had done what? Ah. It was a call. You tell me, were there lost people in Bithynia? Were, were there lost people in, in other parts of Asia? Did they need to be saved? The need did not constitute the call. The Holy Spirit said, I forbid you to go to that place. You can't go to those people. Now, you can question that all you want and try to what, but God, it's God's will where we go. I'm just a servant. And so God calls to a specific place and to a particular piece of geography. He doesn't just call. Somebody said to me, wherever there's a pocket of sin, What, is it? what did he say? He said, wherever there's a pocket of sin, the nearest Christian to it is a missionary. Well, I suppose you could say that in a general fashion, but that doesn't make you a called missionary. It just makes you a witness. I'm a witness wherever I go. I'm a witness wherever I go. Generally, I'm just a witness wherever I go. But I'm talking about where are you to spend your life's work? Where are you to spend your life? I don't think it's our decision making. Amen. Does that make sense to you? I think it's God's decision making. I don't want Chris Barrows at Gospel Baptist outside of the will of God. He's hard enough to work with in the will of God. I don't want Heather. Whew, I don't want Heather outside the will of God at Gospel. I don't want Brother Moon outside the will of God. I don't want his wife outside the will of God. Nobody from Kentucky, if you want outside the will of God. You don't want people outside the will of God. It's important to me that they know in their mind clearly that God has directed them and called them at this moment in their life to this place. Now, I'm not saying God can't change where you went, but at this point, they called these boys to Macedonia. The Macedonian vision come over here. And that, that, that was God's will for them. I think of an opposite condition found in Acts chapter 20, 21. And it says that when Paul was going down to Jerusalem and all them people tried to say, don't go. Remember that? Don't go. I mean, even they had vision from God. 
I believe Paul had a call from God to go to Jerusalem. And what these people were saying, if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to get beat to a pulp in Jerusalem. There is harm going to come to you if you go to Jerusalem. Remember how they did him? How they begged him and how they wearied him? Please don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. And, and, they, and they bound him. Says Holy Spirit says that the, the man who owns this is going to be bound uh, if you go to Jerusalem. And, and he finally just gets frustrated with them. And, and uh, he just he, he said, Why mean you to weep and to break mine heart? In verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 13 of Acts. For I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And he would not be persuaded. And we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. It can be God's will. Now listen to this, missionary, oh my. It can be God's will that you're called into missions to go to a place and die there. That's almost not in the mind of your average missionary today. I think of Adoniram Judson and what he went through. And if you know his story, I'm not going to review it. I, I think of William Carey and what he went through. I think of Hudson Taylor and what he went through. I think of some of these boys that we read about and we lift up and say these men were great Christians. Why? Because they were willing to and understood that the mission that they were called to was a one-way ticket. They were called to, to reach those people at the expense of their own life. And you know what happened? They did. William Carey reached India. Uh, Adoniram Judson reached Burma. And even to this day has an effect on those people. Trust me, if they would have folded their tent to save their family and pulled out and come back to the Britain, and in case Adam and I'm just to come back to the U.S., you're probably not even knowing their names. Something can seem illogical. It seemed illogical for Paul to go to Jerusalem. It seemed harmful. It seemed not the thing to do. It seemed to hurt the work of the Lord to lose somebody like Paul. <coughs> Many tried to persuade him not to go. But Paul believed and had a clear direction from God, a, a, not a burden, but a call to go to Jerusalem. And he said, I'm going there if it's a one-way ticket. Now, you understand what happened when he went to Jerusalem, right? Two years in prison. Basically, he spent two years out of pocket. Here Paul was preaching and winning people to Jesus. And, and God said, I'm, I'm going to have you arrested. First, I'm going to have you beaten real good. Then I'm going to have you arrested. And, and then between, uh, the, between the, the powers that be, you're going to be in captivity for about two years. You're going all the way to Rome before the uh, emperor and give a testimony of me, Jesus Christ. You're going to give a testimony of me before kings, before the emperor, before his court. And that's where I want you to go. And the only way Paul was going to get before Caesar was to go through Jerusalem. That's the only way he was going to make it. Had he allowed his fear, man, I don't think Paul wanted to get beat up. I mean, he wasn't no crazy man. I don't think Paul wanted to get abused. Uh, uh, the Bible says the crowd went on to try to kill him. I don't know about you, but when a crowd of people try to kill you, you, you ain't doing too good. Amen? But he was, 
You understand the quality of Christian we're talking about here? He was given revelation. He was given direction. And God wants to give you the same kind of direction. A burden is not necessarily a call. What looks good is not necessarily God's will. What looks harmful is not necessarily bad or out of God's will. Get back to a lemon like here. Uh, the necessity and the need of the famine pushed Elimelech out of God's will, I believe, out of God's inheritance, and he thought pragmatically. One of the biggest problems of our day is a thing called pragmatism. Pragmatism, is, by definition, is something has its a value on whether it works or not. Okay, something gains its value by whether it's functional. It works. It works so it's good. But that is, a, that is a philosophy of hell. The Christian does not base what he does on whether something works. If that was true, I'd have quit going door to door years ago. And you know, and you northern folks know, that the churches all over America have quit door to door. Why? Pragmatism. It didn't work. Didn't see people saved. But God didn't ask you to see how many got saved. He said, go into the world and preach the gospel. Reach your neighborhood. Reach every door by the grace of God. People are dying in our neighborhood. This is our Jerusalem. And we want to reach it through the bus ministry. We want to reach it through the door to door. We want to reach it through the gospel tracks. We want to reach it through the nursing homes. We want to reach it through the flea market. Want to reach it through the ice cream van. Want to reach it through every crazy standing out there with the bicycles and saying free bicycles if you come Sunday. Whatever the case, well, I'm, I'm getting ready to put Chris in a, in a red devil suit with a tail and a little fork, have him stand out on the corner of 41 with a sign that says, don't go to Gospel Baptist. That hairdo of his will fit right in. I don't have much room to talk. No Elimelech got pushed out. Look what happened. Verse 2, 3, 4, 5. Let's read it. Now the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons as Malon and, and Chilion, and Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And there came into the country of Moab and continued there. By the way, the one kid's name, Malon, was sickly, and Chilion was wasting. I personally wouldn't name my kids that. I sickly and wasting. I mean, I just somehow believe that, that somehow mom wasn't happy when they got birthed. But uh, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. That wasn't bad. That wasn't bad enough. It got worse. They took them wives of the women of Moab. God forbid you take your wives of the Moabites. I thought the Moabites were bad people. Well, the Moabites were the ones that tried to, uh, in, in, through Balaam to, to, to destroy Israel. But when you get out of the will of God, your kids will get out of the will of God. Oh, there's a lot of good there. They'll marry out of the will of God. And brother, when you married out of the will of God, you got a lot of hell to pay. And they married out of the will of God. One of them was Orpha, not Oprah, 
Orpha, but it could have been. And the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there 10 years. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the women, what was left of her sons and her husband. Tragedy followed that family as they moved out of the will of God. I, I wish I could just have the time tonight, and I wish I would have kept better records tonight of the people who have come through gospel who have gotten out of the will of God and how tragedy has followed them. One thing after another. One of our former deacons had his picture in the paper, uh, a DUI. Um, I, I can just tell you over and over and over again, as people step out of the will of God, like it's okay, I can, I, I can kind of go in or come out. No, 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 no. The only place of safety and prosperity for a born-again Christian is in the center of the will of God. You ought to make that number one priority of your life. Brother, if God came to me tonight and says, I want you to go to the Fairbanks, Alaska, where it's dark 20 hours a day, and it's 40, 50 below zero, and you got to plug your car in, I'd say, baby, pack your junk up, we're going. Because if I stayed here, it'd be horrible. I hope he doesn't do that, but nevertheless. I'm not saying I wouldn't go through some bad attitude trouble. But when I was up there catching them salmon and them halibut, her husband dies. You got the wrong wives from the wrong places. Kids die. Man, oh man, what a trouble. During a time of need, one is to seek the Lord for his provision and his direction. It's your life is not your own. You are bought with a price. Once you get born again, your decision-making changes completely. Before you're saved, you don't know any better. You just do, your, you do what comes natural. Once you get saved, it's not, your life's not your own. Since when's your life your own? You've been bought. You've been purchased. And now your main goal is to find out what God wants you to do, where he wants you to do it, and how he wants you to do it. I think of Psalm 34, so much good instruction in Psalm 34, verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. They that seek the Lord should not want any good thing. Verse 17, the righteous cry the Lord here, deliver them out of all their troubles. These are verses I often quote. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save such of a contrite spirit. Verse 19, many of the afflictions of the righteous, the Lord delivereth them out of all. Dick Anderson's favorite verse. Verse 22, the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. I like that. You want true riches? The last? Follow God. Do His will. I've had folks call me. This is, a, this is the gospel truth. I've had dozens of folks move out of here on a whim. They want to go be by the grandkids. The truth is, most of the time, grandkids don't want to be by you. They don't mind being by a couple weeks a year. They pass that. And they've moved everything, changed their whole world, sold out, moved up north, called, just to call me on the phone a year later and said, Preacher, I made a horrible mistake. I don't call them. They call me. Preacher, I made a horrible mistake. Got out of the will of God. There's no good church here. 
There's no good fellowship here. I feel lonely by myself, isolated. My grandkids barely ever come to see me. They got so many soccer games, football games, basketball games, this game, that game. You know, they're you know, preacher, they're living their own, they're not living their own life. Yeah, just like you wanted to. How much time did you spend with your grandparents? Went to their funeral. Only because my mom grabbed me by the ear and said, You're going to the funeral. I'm not saying grandparents in, in isolated situations can't have great influence and wonderful influence on the kid, but it's got to be God. It's got to be God. It's got to be in his way, in his time, his place. I don't want to go to my son's house and him to say, oh, brother, here's dad again. I want him to say, can you believe dad came over? Right, Troy? Is Troy not here? Oh, great. There you go. I need a drink. Is the Super Bowl on tonight? Good. When is it on? Next Sunday? I expect every one of you to be here. There's some churches that are not having evening services, and I'm ashamed of it. I'm just going to tell you. When we start changing the services of the Church of Jesus Christ for some lousy football game, I'm just, I'm abhorred. I didn't say I wanted to be popular. But it's the truth. I see here, I see this Elimelech, and what a sad case of affairs. What a terrible phone call it is to get from people that say, I moved out of the will of God. And I'm going to tell you, Nine out of ten times when I get those calls, the results are irreversible. What I always tell them is, why don't you just sell what you got up there and move back down into the will of God. Just sell. It don't make any difference how much loss you take. Just sell what you got up there and come on back down. They say, preacher, can't do that. Can't do that, preacher. I can't do it. It's too late. I don't have enough money. If I sell, I'll lose this, lose that, and lose that, and don't come back. I say, you're willing to, you just told me out of the will of God. You're willing to stay out of the will of God. Man, I'd make it down here if I had to take a bus. If this was God's will for me to be here. And I'm going to tell you, if it was God's will not to be here, I'd be where God wanted me to be. Why? I think it's important that you see God's face on where he wants you to be. That's the, that's the point of this whole, this whole sermon tonight. Otherwise, you'll let some sort of an emergency or some sort of a, of a pressing need come upon you. And by the way, everybody you ask, They'll say, it makes perfect sense, brother. you got to feed your family. Having a famine in this land, go where the work's at. What in the world did Elimelech and Naomi miss by not staying where they were supposed to stay? They're two boys probably to marry some Israelite women, first off, and they would have probably never, maybe never even died, maybe been able to go on. Who knows? Adversity is almost always good for you. Anything that moves you to a place of insecurity where it causes you to go to God for security is a good thing. You with me? It can be physical, financial, emotional, whatever. But whatever makes you insecure and moves you towards God for security is a good thing. That's a good thing. In all of life, there is pain. Either pain from discipline or pain 
from regret. Discipline is weighed in ounces, and regret is weighed in pounds. I would rather suffer the pain of discipline, do the right thing, and you will suffer some pain. But it's a lot better pain than it is to finally come to your life and regret that you got out of the will of God. When you seem to be out on a limb, remember, that's where the fruit's at. That's where the fruit's at. And God will come for you, and he will help you. Don't let fear be your guide. Don't let panic be your guide. Don't let need be your guide. Don't let pragmatism be your philosophy. Believe in the Lord your God with all your heart. Love him with all your heart. Trust him with all your heart. And trust me, he will not leave you nor forsake you. I will say he sometimes will save you at the very last minute. It's one of his favorite methods. He'll save you at the last minute. Think about Daniel being lowered down the lion's den. I think them lions were roaring and, and, and rawr, you know, lions with hungry lions. and He's being lowered down. I'm not quite sure how they did that, whether it was on a rope with a board on the bottom of it or whatever. But he was being lowered down there, and I don't think Daniel knew the outcome of that. I don't see any indication that Daniel knew the outcome. Afterwards, he said, God in his mercy sent an angel and shut the mouth of the lion. I don't think, I think going on the, I think on the way down, that was a better ride than any, any roller coaster you'd ever taken for fear. I got a feeling his heart was racing. And he was thinking, this is it, this is it, it's time to go home. God's, he's got, and then when he got down to the bottom, the lions just looked at him. Meow. They just all went and laid down. And all night long he was in there, and they were all laid down. And then the guy, you know, the worst thing is, is just before the rescue. And then it said, and then old, old Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Daniel, did your God save you? Yeah, he did. And he, there, was, there was a jubilation where they raised that boy up out of there, and and they just, they, they, looked, they looked all over him and, and they said, this man, that's, don't you want that kind of life? Daniel was a man of like passion just like you are. Just, you can see, and I can see that kind of power. But you won't do it if you don't take the risks of obedience and discipline that they did. Father, help us tonight. Help us to, uh, to see the difference and see the decision-making criteria and be given wisdom from heaven. Forgive us where we've been run by our emotions. Wow. Help us to be run by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239 947 one, two, eight, five. God bless.